Welcome, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to a sermon from Higgins Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to link others to Christ and His love through our church. I've been talking about holiness and uh, personal holiness. And, you know, some people, you know, would say, well, what's this holiness thing all about? And, and what does it look like? What does it mean? And, and is it really important to me? Well, holiness means a lot of things, but as you start to look at definitions of it and, and try to, you know, divide it out in your mind so you, you, you know where you're going with it, it, it means separation from the common, separation from the common things to something special. And we think of uh, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, and that's the end of the creation story. And on the seventh day, God set the seventh day aside to rest and he called it holy, set aside, separate from, from the, the other days. And when we think of examples of holiness, we start to think of well, who or what do we talk about. But, but don't, don't think hard. There's one ultimate example of holiness, of holy, and it is God. And God is our Number one example. It speaks of holy, uh, moral excellence and purity, of separateness. Uh, and, and when you think of God's holiness and God's attributes, somebody said that it is the outshining of all that God is. So kind of let that roll around in your, your mind for, for a minute. We talk about things and places being holy. Uh, and we look in the Bible and we see the temple being described as holy and the tabernacle. And, and we think of things and in the temple and in the holy of holies that there was various furniture and, and, and bowls and, and lampstands and so forth. And, and they were called holy. Times are even called holy in the scriptures. And we think of uh, Passover among one and there's many, many others. When people are described as holy. What does that mean? It means that we are set aside for God. And the most perfect example that we can think of that is Jesus. And uh, he is the example of how perfectly a person can be set aside for God's specific uh, uh, mission and yet still be a very normal, active part of society. And he was for, for many, many years. The Bible has many words that refer to or are translated from the root word where we get our, our word holy or holiness. It's holy and pure and perfect. Uh, consecration, sanctification, those are the primary ones. And when I look in uh, uh, places like Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said we are to be perfect. He used that word how perfect? As perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. And the writer of Hebrews, speaking of Jesus, said, uh, uh, He disciplines us for our good that we might share His holiness. The Hebrews had a special place that they called holy. In fact, they call it the Holy of Holies. And there was this inner part of the, the temple where nobody could go except the, the high priest. And only once a year he would go in there and make sacrifice for his people. And, and it, it was considered by them the ultimate place of holiness. Set aside solely for God and for God's presence. And that's where they felt that he, he would reside. Well, 
I might, uh, I might contend with them a little bit on that. I don't think that was the ultimate holy of holies. I don't think it was indeed the first holy place. Uh, I think there's some place entirely different. And, and I find that place in a garden. And I find it in creation, in the very beginning of time. So let's, uh, let's take a look, if you will, um, at holiness at its best. And I'm going to read through uh, Genesis chapter 1. Just going to read kind of quickly. I hope you can kind of follow along. I'm reading from a little different translation, the, the New Living Translation, because it's, uh, it's a little bit different, it's very good, and it makes us uh, think a little more about what we're, we're reading. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, making the first day. And then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. And God made the space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. And God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. And then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. And God called the dry ground land and the water seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow and seeds-bearing fruit, and these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. And the land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees and seed-bearing fruit. And their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. And then God said, let all light up, lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be signs to mark the, the seasons, days, and years. And let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. And God made two great lights. The larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. And he also made the stars. And God set these lights in the sky to light the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. And then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas. And let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. And then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. And God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring 
of the same kind. God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will reign over the fish in, in the seas and the birds in the sky and the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that is life. And that is what happened. And then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. And so the creation of the heavens and earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. What could possibly be better? God created it, God spoke, and it was Perfect in every way. Everything that was created was at that time perfect. Uh, From the animals to Adam. Perfect places. The sky and the seas and the mountains and the molehills and, and everything in between. And he set it all in motion for one purpose. For God and man to live amongst it and to enjoy it. Man had the best of everything without working. The best of the best. Yeah, all he had to do was walk in the garden and communicate with God. And what could have been better? Think of it. As I read this from a different translation, the first time I read it, one, one thing really stood out. And imagine how it was in the garden in, in those days. And God said it, and that's what happened. Six times. And God said it, and that's what happened. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything better. Adam and Eve are there in the center of the garden, and they're they're the focal point, if you will. And now, I know you parents like to do the best for your children, and and there's nothing, especially you parents who, who, well, you expected parents who haven't quite gotten there yet. And you want to do the very best for this little bundle of joy that's about to come along. And nothing is too good for your kids, right? Right? I expect everybody to say, "Uh uh-huh, well. I think God felt that same way. Nothing is too good for my kids. And whatever their need was, God said it, and it was so. God took care of it. Holiness in action, I believe. I believe that was the holiest place ever. A place for holy service. And what was that service? Simply to live with the holy God. I call that the original holy of holies. And so what happened? 
Well, I, I think holiness was contested. And you know, love is not really love if there's no choice involved. A choice to love or to not love. A choice to obey or not obey. And love and obedience, they always seem to go hand in hand. And so, there were rules in the garden. Now, not many. I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like rules, uh, especially when the rule book gets real thick and there are all kinds of things and, and there are all kinds of exceptions and all of that. But God had two rules. And, and, and the first is, everything that is here is yours except one thing, this one tree. Don't eat from it. Don't touch it. If you do, you'll die. And I'm sure God explained to Adam and Eve what it meant to die. So don't eat it. Don't touch it. I mean, is that clear enough? Is, is, uh, is anybody here having trouble with those directions? Anybody? Don't quite get it. Don't eat it. Don't touch it. That's it, right? Pretty simple. But then the tempter enters the picture. Chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say... You must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. And, and if you look back to chapter 2, chapter 2 is uh, God explaining uh, what he did in the creation of man. Because, uh, uh, you know, chapter 1, he tells it briefly. Chapter 2, he explains it a little more. Verse 2, 15 to 17, uh, the Lord God placed a man in the garden of Eden and uh, to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God... Uh, warned him, you may freely eat from every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you will not die. Satan comes along and, and he says, he says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit uh, from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit, from, from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only from uh, fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. Temptation is an amazing thing. If you're a chocoholic and you know that eating chocolate causes you problems, then you know that you should leave it alone. But you're a chocoholic. And, and you're doing okay until somebody puts a big picture of a Reese's peanut butter cup on the television. I mean, fills the screen. That kind of gets you going, you know. And, and if that isn't bad enough, you, you wind up going shopping and you happen to go someplace where you walk by one of these candy stores and <sighs> you know what it's like, the good stuff. It's a really kind of 
smell that, and wow. And then somebody says, free samples. Now the temptation is really ramped up, hasn't it? Now you, you, you kind of get the I- idea. Uh, Satan is doing just exactly that. But he gets pretty bold here, verse 4. He says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Wow. And so we read on verse 6. So the woman was convinced. She saw that that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Catch that. Who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were open. Their eyes were opened, it seems to say, together. So, you know, you know, this all this deal about Adam's sin, Eve's sin, and all that. Hey, hey, the old boy was right there. He was in charge. And he wasn't doing very good, was he? So, you know, let's let's not even go there. But here we have it. We call it the fall. We call it original sin. It entered into the human race. And whose fault is it? Well, Satan's fault, of course, isn't it? Right? Because he was there and he was a tempter. And he kept ramping things up. And he kept pouring it on until they gave in. Isn't it great to be able to blame somebody else? But... There's two or three words in verse 6 that really come out. She wanted it. James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Let's take a look at that for a minute. Temptation comes from our own desires or our own lust which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Sin is a choice, folks. It is always a choice. The temptation may be strong. In fact, the temptation will be strong. When we think of Jesus and his temptation, Jesus was tempted and Jesus did not give in to temptation. And, and, we, and we know he went through his, his time of temptation. And finally, Satan left. And what does the scripture say? He left until an opportune time. He knows those times. He knows when you're weakest. He knows when you're most uh, liable to give in. And he is shrewd. He is wise. He is crafty. He is miserable. But we are the ones that ultimately say yes or no to his temptation. And when we say yes, and when we're in that process, we contest and we dispute and we challenge God's holy law. 
So can we please get back to the garden? Can we just get back there? Can we just kind of get back to that holy place and, and this holiness? Can we pursue holiness a, a little bit? Um, can, I, can I just, can I just, Pastor, just lighten up, lighten up a little bit? Can't I just kind of do my own thing most of the time and yet kind of be with God too and, and serve Him? Can't I just, you know, the question you're asking is, can the unholy serve the holy? Can the unclean serve the clean? And I want you to be judge of that because, you know, I thought of something and I know I'm going to get in trouble when I get home for this. But tonight's harvest dinner time, right? And you're all coming, we're going to have great food and everything. And, and I just want to ask you, um, supposing all this beautiful food is out before you, nice and hot and everything, not a germ in it because it's prepared just right and everything, but we don't have to use clean serving utensils, do we? In fact, I brought one with me. I've got to hide behind Richard so my wife won't see and uh, <laughs> just, just some of yesterday's breakfast fell off in the bag. It was going to make the object lesson better. But, but I've got this serving utensil here, okay? And hmm. <laughs> there's no problem with using this tonight, is there? I mean... I will do a great service with this. I will do the best I can in serving your food with this thing here. I mean, I will try very hard. Uh, I will give you the best of the best. So there shouldn't be a problem, should there? God, I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to do the very best by you. Uh, you ask and I will do it. But I think I'm okay like I am. I really don't think I need all this cleansing stuff. Holy? Yeah, you're holy, God. You expect me to be holy? I mean, I can do all right by you, just like I am, right? Wrong. When we accept Christ as our personal Savior, the Scripture tells us the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sin. And that's a great thing. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. And at that moment, we are, if you will, holy before Almighty God. So the only way that we'll ever be holy is if we die that second, right? Because we go on and we live in this unholy world. And we, we live amongst unholy people and amongst unholy things. And we do, well, we're just involved with all this unholy stuff. And, and before you know it, unholy thoughts come to our minds and unholy actions come through our bodies. And, and so we're, we just aren't so holy. But I still love God and I still want to serve God and I still want to give God. And, and 
It's all right, isn't it, God, if the unholy serves the holy? God's plan is that we be holy. Jesus is our example. Come on, Pastor, you're putting something out there way too big for me. It's a crisis and it's a process. We say yes to Jesus. We ask him to forgive us of our sins and come into our hearts. And we become his children. And then he asked us to live for him and to live with him. And um, you who have had babies know that babies aren't always very clean. My wife and I never had children, no, but we've been around lots of babies. And my folks adopted two little girls when I was uh, 12 and then 13. And so uh, I had a part in raising those little dirty things. They just, it is amazing how dirty a little girl can get in five minutes or less. Just amazing. And so we'd stick them in the tub. Sometimes, a couple times a day, and rub-a-dub-dub and scrub with the bubbles and all that stuff, and, and they come clean. Oh, no, they're beautiful, and they're, they're nice and squeaky clean. And we're living in this world, and, and sometimes, sometimes we get dirty, don't we? It's called sin coming back into our lives. And I think sometimes... We need to realize that it is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unholiness and from our sin. And sometimes, if you will, we jump into the holy tub and we allow the Holy Spirit to scrub us and to cleanse us and to, to make us holy. And he gives us directions on how to live a holy life. And, and sometimes we're not too good at following directions. And sometimes we, we lose our way. And sometimes we get dirty again. And, and he says, but I am here. And there's no end to the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. And I can cleanse you again and again and again. And I can keep the process going. And little by little, day by day we become a little more, in our minds, holy. But you see, in God's mind, He has a holiness for each one of us. And it varies and it changes from day to day. But He simply asked, Will you be totally surrendered to me? Will you let me work in you and with you and through you? And if you should step outside of my direction, my will, my plan for your life, would you come back and would you simply say, I'm sorry. Cleanse me. Help me. And that's a pretty good example of being holy. Your neighbor might not agree. Somebody in your family might say, well, if you think you're holy, no, that's what God thinks. 
And there are going to be times when you won't feel all that holy. But if you're closer to God than you've ever been, if you're honestly, totally surrendering your life to Him, He'll call you His holy child. Let's stand together. I'd like you to turn with me to number 660, just a little short chorus. I know the time is getting along, but you don't have to eat much dinner today because you have a big turkey dinner tonight. So um, it's, it's okay if I run over, at least <laughs> once in a while. I don't try not to do it all the time. But number 660, I will serve thee because I love thee, because he first loved me. Let's bow together. Jesus loves you with a love that is beyond anything that you can possibly imagine. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three, all in one, but all separate, all working together. What love that is. That we might be everything he desired us to be. That we might be holy. That we might be ministered to by him. And that we might bless him as we live with him and for him. And I think right now if you would simply just pray, Lord Jesus. I want what you want for my life. And boy, I can't do it myself. I need help. I can't be holy for a minute without your help. But strengthen me and help me and direct me that I might be everything you would have me to be. Thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for a plan that is not just some pie in the sky, but something that we can be a part of right now. And thank you for a plan that not only will be right in your eyes, but that would bless us beyond anything we can imagine. And lead us in living your holy life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for taking the time to listen. For more information, you can find us on the web at higginswesleyanchurch.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Also, feel free to subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes for more from the folks here at Higgins. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.